This is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in the boomer generation. We are Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, and Dr. Andrea Gold. Good morning, everyone. So nice to be here with our favorites, Dr. Andrew Gould-Marks, my co-host, and my other favorite co-host, Jennifer Davis-Page. And we are so thrilled to be here today because it's a very special day. We are reaching back in history to speak to a most marvelous woman by the name of Susan Ward. Susan is the daughter of a very famous and highly successful artist, Sally Ward, who, wait for this, painted until she was in her 100s. Such an inspiring story. Wow. Welcome. Welcome, Susan. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Wow, Susan. So this is kind of a devotional kind of experience because we're going to be, we're sitting all around a table. We've got a picture here, a painting that was painted by your mother. She had to be having such an amazing time looking at this view of mountains, this whole golden cast, the contrast of shadow and light. You know, this was in the mountains of uh, Southern California, not too far north of uh, Palm Springs. Fabulous. And what would you like to, how would you like to feel when you're doing this, um, you know, having creating this legacy? This is an audio legacy. I guess my wish would be that uh, through telling a little bit about her life and her experiences and her love of painting, that I could introduce more people to her and to her work. Love it. I love that idea um, because that's how I felt reading her biography, reading your mother's biography, um, and how she began at such an early age. Tell us a little story about when she was 10 and what happened to her. She was a sketcher from the time that she was very small, loved to draw on any piece of paper she could get. And this was a a very poor family, so getting a a piece of paper was something kind of special. And uh, she did a lot of, of drawing with charcoal. And uh, she, as she continued to, to learn how to draw, self-taught, uh, she was sketching a man's farmhouse one day, and he saw the, the farmhouse being sketched and thought it was very good. And he said, I would pay you for that picture. And she said, you would? And he said, I'll give you a dollar. Well, this was in like 1916, 1918, maybe. And uh, the family, this is a really rough patch for them. This was uh, about the time that the whole family got the Spanish flu. And she has a, a great, she had a great memory of that period. Well, she took the dollar and gave him the picture, and that really set her on her course. She thought, I could do this. I could do this my whole life. And what a oh. wonderful way, right? One, for a child or a person with talent and creativity, one, to be seen, right? And then to know that that is your gift from very early on in life. How amazingly lucky was Sally. But that really wasn't her actual name, right? What was her full name? Her full name was Thelma Elizabeth. And for years, she said, why? 
why did they name me Thelma? And she finally asked her mother, who before had not been willing to answer. And her mother said, well, uh, I named you after the preacher's wife. <laughs> and my mother was very disappointed. She was hoping it was going to be something kind of heroic or wonderful, that maybe <laughs> she could fall in love with her name, but that didn't happen. Oh, gosh. And what's so adorable about her, and of course, we love a woman with attitude, but um, Sally knew herself, knew to be her own person at such an early age. How, did, how was that manifested? Uh, probably the best way that she manifested her independence was that she ran away from home at 14. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. She wow. needed to do that. Huh? She needed to do that. Uh, her, her family was a, a very religious family. Uh, she felt the strictures of, of custom, and uh, they were also very suspicious of her talent. So there was a lot there that was going on. And one night she said to her sisters during a, a prayer meeting that was happening downstairs in their house, if they go through one other amen, I'm out of here. <laughs> and <laughs> they did. They did. Oh and gosh. she did. She went right out the window with a bag that she already had packed underneath <laughs> the bed. And uh, they didn't hear for her for months. And uh, at that particular time, uh, she ran off with a guy that she married. Uh, and he kept heading west, and they went to uh, Wenatchee, Washington. And it was while she was there uh, working as an apple packer that her supervisor said to her, what's your name? And she said, Thelma. <laughs> and she said, you're no Thelma. She says, I'm going to call you Sally. And the name <laughs> stuck, and she kept it her whole life. Because she could see the sassiness <laughs> yes, in her exactly. right away. Right, right. Yeah. showed. And so she was a preamble, probably a role model for Thelma and Louise. Right. We can right? say that now. I mean, you're thinking of that right away when right. you hear about this That's woman. right. And they weren't even invented yet. No. So she was a futurist as well as a historical God. inspiration. And what was so interesting, too, is, right, she was self-schooled or she schooled herself? Or how would the, that education go? She went as far as she could before running away from home. And I guess at age 14, she probably would have been a junior high or middle, what we call middle school now. And uh, the those particular years, that was the end of her formal education for a long time. Uh, she did complete her education about the same time that I was in high school. Uh, she said, I'm going to finish school. She started a correspondence course, got really good grades, and obviously was getting a lot out of her learning because she wanted to swap ideas and, and uh, knowledge with me, which I thought was wonderful, and in, ended up graduating the same year that I graduated from oh. high school. So we oh. essentially graduated together. Oh, That's my the gosh. sweetest thing. And I just want to go back to the fact that she was self-taught. I mean, think about it. You know, you can sketch. And the whole thing about learning is you get feedback. If you don't get feedback, you don't learn as quickly. But what could be more instantaneous than sketching something, looking at it, seeing if it works? You don't need anybody else. When you're sketching, when you're creating something and see, especially she was a realist to some extent, right? So she got immediate feedback. And that probably facilitated her learning path, made it explode because she was challenged to make it more and more and more realistic. She also had, um, she wanted to be able to speak well. She wanted to be able to articulate what she was uh, feeling. 
And uh, she became quite a good grammarian. She decided she had to have good grammar. A woman right after my own heart. Yeah. No kidding. She and, was... and you asked about the Palmer method. Yes. Yeah. I think I was taught the Palmer okay, method. Okay, so what is the Palmer method anyway? It's a it's a, a way of making your letters so they're very clear, but also very, very uh, smooth. And for cursive write, writers, it's like the epitome of good writing. And uh, it's something that's taught in schools, but she was self-taught in, in the Palmer method as she well. She knew a good thing before it happened. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And we love the way that her life flowed. It was as though it was a creative unveiling to her at almost every step, right? Every step. And it mm -hmm. wasn't as though art was enough for her. Then she did something in fashion. She did. Um, she was a, a, a skilled seamstress from the time she was very small. I'm glad she wasn't born in China because she would have spent her whole life in those factories <laughs> doing those little tiny stitches. But uh, she was a good seamstress and uh, found that an artist doesn't necessarily uh, make her way in the world by selling her art at a young age. So her work uh, very often had to do with being uh, doing alterations in uh, very uh, high-class dress shops. And uh, high-class, I say, because that was one of the reasons she really worked on grammar. She wanted to be able to be a salesperson, but she thought, entry level, okay, that's fine. I'll be the best person at alterations ever. And remained a person in our family who was respected until uh, late in her life as someone, well, I can't wear this anymore, but Sally can fix it. Sally can make it okay. And everybody in the family brought her clothes to alter. I was the youngest of five girl cousins and got all of their hand-me-downs, <laughs> and they were fantastic. I always looked good. What a lucky family. Yeah. Susan, one of the most amazing things about your mother also was that she was such a traveler, not only just in the U.S., but outside of the country as well. And uh, she was an adventurer. The spirit of creativity and adventure just propelled her. What areas has she traveled to? And have you were you a part of many of those trips? Mother's travels began as soon as she be began earning some good money. And uh, she traveled almost exclusively, in fact, almost exclusively, except for British Columbia, uh, traveled in, the, in uh, North America. And uh, never got out of the United States, really, until she was in her 70s. And uh, following the death of my father, she had a travel companion who was a, a master photographer. And the two of them set off for the world. And uh, they did not all of it. I wish she had had a chance to see Asia, but she fell in love with Central America. Uh, she absolutely loved every part of it, of Europe that they went to, especially Italy. Uh, that travel for her was, uh, it came late in her life, but it opened her eyes to uh, brand new subject matter, for one thing, and also to, I think, a real awareness of how other people live. And she saw, especially in Central America, uh, that people there basically lived as she had lived as a little girl, without very much uh, physical comfort, uh, but with an awful lot of uh, understanding of their environment and uh, an appreciation for family, which, you know, she had to come to that, but it uh, it did come in her later years. We'll be right back in just a moment with... Uh, 
another excellent segment and as we delve into the life of Sally Ward. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Radio. We're in the studio this morning with the lovely Sue Ward, and we're talking about her incredible mother, Sally Ward. I'm here today with Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks and B.B. Peters, and I'm Jennifer Davis-Page. Uh, her attraction to Austin Ward, who became her husband, appeared to be because Austin was determined to live life on his own terms and not those of his family. She identified with that. You're absolutely right, Jennifer. Uh, my mother and father saw in each other, I think, a, a desire to set their own path. Uh, something interesting about my dad that I think really attracted my mother uh, his father was a doctor, and they expected uh, my dad, Austin, to go to medical school. And he went, graduated from the University of Washington uh, in pre-med and was actually at uh, being a resident at Cook County Hospital in Chicago. Um, his parents' letters started coming back to them. And they thought, what the heck is going on? So they called the school and said, well, he had withdrawn. And they didn't know where he was or what he was doing. And uh, so they sent my dad's uncle, my wonderful uncle Harley, out to look for him. And he was kind of a good sleuth and found that my dad had left school with another friend of his to go look for gold in British Columbia. <laughs> and Uncle Harley found them in British Columbia and stayed. He stayed with them. They were up there for <laughs> Another year and a half. He thought gold was a good idea. It was a good well. idea. It was yeah. still a good idea. <laughs> so the the all the plans of becoming a doctor, those just went to the wind, and he uh, set his own course, and uh, he did relatively well, uh, and was able to to they were able to sell their claim in in British Columbia. My dad wondered for years what had happened to it. Uh, he and mother went traveling when he was uh, very much affected by his emphysema uh, when he was in his late 60s. And they went to British Columbia and found a gold mining operation that stretched for miles. <laughs> and uh, that was the claim, his original claim, that he sold for not very much, but it gave him seed money so that they could move back to the Okanagan Highlands and live there where they could hunt and fish and do all the things they loved. What a wonderful story. Uh, Austin and Sally adopted you, Susan. What earlier memories do you have being around those two creative independent souls. They were really both entrepreneurs in their own generation. They were indeed. And uh, my earliest memories, I think, uh, come from living in central Washington after the war was over. Uh, my father was working as an engineer in a, in a uh, factory. And mother uh, had the opportunity for the first time to take uh, art classes, and she wanted to learn. She was just on a quest to learn everything she could. So my earliest memories are riding in the basket of her bicycle, and she would take me to Central Washington College with her where she left me in the nursery school, and she would take her classes and then uh, come and get me in the afternoons, and we'd go home and, and wait for my dad to get home. And during the afternoons, I would play with neighbors, and she would paint. 
and uh, take really take advantage of the fact that she was learning so much and trying new techniques and uh, new ways of expressing herself with her art. Uh, Sally became known as a plein air, open-air artist who could capture a moment of nature and get its best property onto paper or canvas. Absolutely. And her... Her major love was catching light at its best point, and uh, she was she was able to do that. I think that was what uh, led her to art in the first place. And uh, over the years, when people would ask her why she painted, and she would say, to capture the light, to be able to capture the light. I think one of the things about plain air uh, painting, uh, you're there over a span of time, and you have to know that nature changes things very quickly. And uh, the artist's uh, a knack of being able to catch a moment in time is really a gift, but you've got to really nurture it. But she would always tell me when she was trying to get me to understand how you look at nature, uh, she'd say, you have to look at it in a long way because you know that it's changing right in front of your eyes. You have to be able to see that so that you know which moment is the best moment. Uh, in later years, that led her to use her camera a lot more to catch the moment that she thought was best. And she would complete many of the pictures that she started on site uh, in her studio. And I think that it really helped her. And she also became a doggone good photographer. <laughs> <laughs> now, we understand you drove your mother around checking out potential sites for plein air exhibitions. Can you reflect on that experience? Yes, I learned to drive because of mother. <laughs> I was about 12 years old when I remember sitting on pillows with the seat as far forward as it would go in our 46 Ford, uh, going on logging roads way, way off the, the beaten track. And uh, I remember going out on a road that finally almost ended with the, just the ruts there. And I said, how do we get out? And she says, this is where you learn to back out. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have never done yet. Okay, so bravo, bravo to Sally. The DMV didn't know that you were on the road, though, did they? No, not a bit, not a bit. Uh, Sally was exposed to other styles of painting and enjoyed being an artist, teacher, landscapes, floral artist, decorative artist. All of those areas. And part of that came as a result of uh, the period of time in which uh, my dad, in his later life, his business got better. He was up in the Okanagan, which they loved, the Okanagan Valley. Uh, when he needed equipment, he would send mother to Seattle uh, to pick up chainsaws, and uh, that was his business, uh, chainsaws and logging equipment. And she welcomed those times because she could stay for a while and meet with other artists and uh, pen women that were on the coast and uh, learn from them. And uh, a number of them loved to go plein air painting with my mom, and they started making visits over to the east side of the mountains where we lived. My dad's chainsaw shop had a large room in the back, and she grabbed that to be her gallery. Mm -hmm. And she was able not only to set up her own pictures, but provide a studio there for artists that came over from the coast to go painting with her. So our uh, springs and summers and falls were full of visits from other people and uh, driving mom and her artist friends out to various locales that we had scoped out in that 46 Ford. By this time, we had graduated to a 56 Ford station wagon. You are an <laughs> expert chauffeur, and an what, artist chauffeur. And what year was this? Oh, let's see. This would have been from 1955 to uh, about 1960, 61. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it must have been quite an honor uh, for her. She was selected as featured artist in the Encyclopedia Britannica's exhibition at the 1962 World's Fair in Seattle. Indeed, yes. And uh, got a lot of acclaim for that particular picture. I'm I'm actually sorry that she sold it because it was really wonderful. It was uh, thematically a picture of, of Grand Coulee Dam, which doesn't sound like much, but it was done as uh, almost a pastel uh, with regard to the uh, way that the mist from the uh, mighty turbines and throwing out the water at the bottom. And out of that came uh, the figures of uh, Native American horsemen on on horseback. Wow. And it was wow. really, really dramatic and, and very wonderful. Uh, but it was it was sold. It was sold probably within a week of it appearing, but it appeared the entire time of the Encyclopedia Britannica's exhibit there. Uh, but it was a wonderful picture. I've got a few photographs of it. Uh, but that's all I've got. Now, Sally was very successful at mounting exhibitions. One of them was a group of five artists who painted for 10 days in southeastern Arizona and in the spring of 1968 did a show that was a total sellout. That's not an easy thing to do without social media these days. Absolutely. They got back to Seattle uh, North Central Washington and mounted a show there. And uh, before the show was even done, they said, well, we can't even come back for another week. They had a place, a location for two weeks, but everything was sold. So they said, oh, what okay. A testament. Yeah. Uh, they And they had a wonderful time. And for mom, it was her first real introduction to southeastern Arizona, which she loved. And I'm glad she did because in her later life, when it came time to relocate uh, from living by herself, this is where she came. We'll come right back and continue our delicious and sunny interview uh, with Susan Ward. Welcome back again, and this is Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks, and we're sitting here and having a fabulous discussion about the incredible artist Sally Ward. We're here with Susan Ward, her daughter, Bibi Peters, and Jennifer Davis-Page. Wow. Your mom, not only your mom is artist, but as social artist as well. You know, we hear so often that artists are individual and and keep to themselves. But your mom was a real outreach person, learning from who she could, looking at opportunities where she could, having a husband who was also opportunistic. Your mom captured the desert landscape around Palm Springs, California. And of course, we appreciate now how much she captured the pristine areas that have now, of course, become developed. Tell us about that and maybe her museum exhibition in Palm Desert. Mother uh, fell in love with the desert almost accidentally. Uh, When my father began suffering from emphysema, they started uh, getting him away from the shop, uh, which had all of these fumes from fixing chainsaw engines and the rest of it. And they started vacationing during the winter months in uh, Desert Hot Springs. And uh, Mother... 
uh, almost immediately found herself loving the desert. She was away from all of the trees and all of the lakes, all of the things that she had really been painting up to that time. And at that time, she was very successful as a Northwestern artist. She had had, uh, during the 50s, 60s, and into the early 70s, uh, quite a bit of success and uh, was uh, well-known on the coast, uh, well-known in the interior of Washington. Uh, in some respects, I think she was very worried about leaving there and wondering what would happen to her art. And it came as a, as a delightful surprise that she loved the desert. Uh, she almost immediately started uh, uh, an association with uh, desert artists and really loved uh, going out with them. And they discovered someone who was a delight to be with in terms of plein air artistry. So she had a group of, of artists that uh, were her friends till uh, nearly the end of her life, although well, she outlived most of them. What's so exciting and, and a takeaway, I think, for our listeners is that so often we get attached to what we think is a comfort zone, and yet your mother is the embodiment of versatility because she's a basis, a visual person. So why wouldn't she fall in love with that? Because the next issue then became she painted in Italy, she painted in Guatemala, and I don't get the feeling, where else? Let's see, Mojave Desert. Norway. Look at the variety. And of course, back in the area she loved, the Okanagan. So there was something that I want to say transcended her locality, but there was also something more basic than being belonging to any one place, but belonging to visual beauty in general. And it did, in addition to all of that, it also changed um, the mediums the media that she was using, she had been primarily a watercolor artist in her earlier years, and she loved watercolors. And she had painted some with oils, but uh, the the desert lended itself to oil painting much more. And she discovered early on, being a realist, uh, people in Southern California don't buy uh, watercolors with framed glasses. They they lose them in tremors. They destroy the picture. Uh, they're much more inclined to go with oils because they last longer in a, in a quake area. So uh, she really, she transferred her skills and became quite adept uh, in oil painting. And immediately uh, upon the death of my father in 1974, when she had a, a, a big decision to make, are you going to go back to Washington are you going to stay here and uh, in Southern California? And she said, I'm staying in the desert. This is uh, where I belong now. This is this is good. And I don't think she missed the snow so much. Well, you know, that's a yeah. universality, yeah. universality to that, right? Those so, of us that come here, we, we don't necessarily want to go back. Well, especially when we start out in northern climes and we really get to envision ourselves, can I really go back? back to that. You were um, fortunate enough to accompany your mom on road trips back and forth between um, Rancho Mirage in California and the Okanagan Valley. She was a great travel companion. And I don't think she, uh, we did this for 33 years back and forth from the time that she moved to uh, a cathedral city in Rancho Mirage. Uh, and 
I think she loved going back to, to being a watercolor artist when she went up to the Okanagan, and she continued to paint in both oils and watercolors up there and selling. Uh, she loved, uh, and she still gets such a great response in that area. Most of those pictures now, the originals are gone. They're, I just I have maybe a half dozen relatively small pictures that are left from all of those years that she painted in the Okanagan. Uh, but I think for her, again, you've captured exactly what happened to her and that, that it was a revelation to her as well, that not only could she make that kind of transition, but she could really make it a successful transition and change even uh, the style of painting and the other things that she was doing with her the art. mediums. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she's such an exemplar for versatility is one thing, but adaptability. And, and of course, that self-creation process that only encourages more creation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's one of those rare and beautiful examples of how creativity can work inside the psyche and help create even more beauty. It's an amazing It is. Amazing and story. you consider one other factor that we're talking about a period of time when she was in, in her 70s and early 80s, and she did some of her best ever work in those years. And there was never, uh, uh, never a bit of a thought that maybe I'm getting too old to do this, not a bit of it. You know, as I mentioned before, she was still painting. Uh, well, she painted a picture when she was in hospice. <laughs> that I will never part with. And I think we should post that that picture as well, because she's sitting in a wheelchair, and it really affected me, now that I'm reflecting on it, and she's looking out at a landscape as a part of her that would never die. Never die. No matter exactly. what. And the other part that we're so fond of talking about, because of course, of course, ultimately, this is for our listeners to hear as well, that that social network that she that she cultivated, like one cultivates a garden. There's a picture you have of her sitting around and celebrating her 100th birthday with that group of women that bonded around the expression of art. How, how ideal, yeah? How ideal that you have this passion that you know about from the age of 10, and you're able to pursue it and grow it and expand in it. And I know we're talking about your mother um, a lot at this time, but Susan, we want to just learn a little bit more about you as well. How is it that you've become the woman that you are now because of your mother's influences? Mother and dad both, I think, um, in terms of my dad, uh, my, uh, I have a great appreciation for music. And he was always a great appreciator of music. I remember that my very first song that I ever loved was Far Away Places with Strange Sounding Names, a Bing Crosby <laughs> song that I just Do you want loved. to sing it for us? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as I as I grew up, I, ne I wanted to travel. Mother always wanted to travel, too. The fact that she got to travel with her friend Mike um, after my dad died, I think, was a real joy to her. Uh, and she wanted me to travel, although she didn't want me to leave home. There was kind of that push-pull sort of thing. But when I graduated from college, the first thing I did was join the Peace Corps and spend a couple of years in South America and southern Peru. 
And I thought probably that was uh, about as far as I would ever get uh, from home. And I was also wrong about that. I think the love of travel and the fact that uh, she and I began to love travel at the same time, doing different things, of course. She was doing her art, and I became um, um, a person that worked for uh, the United Nations Association. I started developing a tour program. Uh, ended up loving travel in Southeast Asia and loving travel in, in Scandinavia and uh then uh, after that became a, an election supervisor and an election observer for the uh, uh, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And I've spent much of my life uh, going back and forth to countries, uh, the former Soviet republics, and uh, getting to know people through their elections, which I think is a great way also to get mm -hmm. to know people. So um, I have to say that from her and from my father, in both instances, their encourage, encouragement of me to, to develop different skills and keep looking outward really uh, made a difference in my life. And, and also I'm struck by the fact that, you know, your mother and father had a love of the earth and, and how it looked and how it pulsated and the color and, and, and the growth. And they, and they have a child who appreciated helping people who live on the earth you know, so it's kind of one step even more so that here's the earth and, and the earth is a host. And you came in and intervened on that level. What an amazing legacy for them that you are. You are indeed. Uh, and what about uh, her artistic uh, creativity and drive and skills? Did you follow in, that, in those uh, steps in any way? There are some pictures that I have at home that I painted when I was uh, about 10 and 11 years old. And I look at them now and I think, oh boy, I could tell early on that I did not have the gift. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I loved being with mother and uh, loved uh, those um, occasions when we went hunting a lot because uh, my parents loved to go hunting. I was a, a rotten hunter, uh, came very close to actually hitting something one time, and, and it scared me, so I didn't ever do that again. But I loved to go out with them, and uh, both my mother and father appreciated that, that uh, really wild, primitive area of the North Cascades so much. Uh, my dad was almost apologetic by making uh, a success of his business uh, selling chainsaws. So uh, in later years uh, for him, he uh, also expanded to boats and motors because that was really fun. And water skiing and all those things are things that he just loved. He didn't do them himself, but he would always drive the boat. So uh, there, were, there were so many ways in which they exposed me to different things that I wouldn't have had an opportunity to do or learn about if it hadn't been for them. And this example, this this entire story is so impressive in that there was so much love and there was so much encouragement and independence and respect for one another's spirit and independence. How fortunate for you to grow up with such balance. It's rare. I could speak to it's rare. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, when I visit Gosh. when I visit art galleries, I am just so so envious of the talent, the amazing talent that art, that so many artists have, and I do believe that it's a it's a God given gift. You know, I don't I 
I tried to draw something the other day, and I was embarrassed at myself. I had to turn it over because it looked like I was in kindergarten. And I just, when I look at, at, at your mother's beautiful work, I mean, I can't even imagine how she even got started. I mean, this is truly a, a gift from God. Well, and as we wind down this wonderful, sweet conversation with Susan Ward about her mother's artwork and her life, actually, we have one last question to ask you, Susan, and that is, what would you like the world to know about your mother, Sally Ward? She captured what she painted at a time that, well, we're going undergoing all these changes. And I guess the best example I, I would give of that is that when I do a show for her over in California, people come into the gallery and take a look at pictures like the one that we're looking at this morning in the studio. And if it's of the area around Palm Springs, someone will stop and say, look, honey, that's over where Eisenhower Clinic is now. And she got it in the 1960s and and early 1970s when it was still uh, desert dunes with verbena in the spring and nothing there, you know, great open spaces that had wonderful cactus and, and wonderful flowers in the spring. And now it's completely covered by homes and tract homes and businesses and, and wide streets and great parks. Um, I think what I, I see in her pictures of both of the Okanagan and what she did in, in California is that she successfully captured a past that is truly past. And where can we go see her work? Is there a permanent collection in California? Um, a gallery? No, yes, uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Palm Desert um, Historical Society has some of my mother's pictures. And uh, the uh, Desert Art Gallery that's in Palm Springs, there are some of Mother's Pictures there, too, and a great legacy there. You can still uh, meet people there that worked with her on her uh, day to come down and help sell. And so you curate it. The remaining collection? I have the remaining collection, and uh, it's available. Uh, some of it is available to sell. I part with things uh, rather slowly. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to you. kind of pick up on that a little bit as I get older because I'm understanding oh so well now that uh, in a retirement home or even in my own home, I've only got so many walls. And, <laughs> right. Uh, right. I've got a lot of pictures. One of the things about Mother, again, she really felt that if you were going to be an artist, you had to do it every day. Oh, and so I have a lot of pictures. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I have a lot of pictures from her nineties <laughs> uh, that are not show quality at all. Uh, but I'm having a hard time parting with them. You know, is there a them. website that you now have, or is it almost done that we can share with our listeners? I think uh, probably the best way to contact me if you're interested in Mother's work is to reach me by email, and then I'll get right back to you. And that email is S as in Susan, A as in Anne. Ward, W-A-R-D, the number one, at Juno.com. So to repeat, S-A-Ward-1 at Juno.com. Excellent. 
Thank you so much for being here. What an inspiration. We all walk away with. A woman 100 plus who has done whatever she wanted to do all her life. And now her daughter is here and was able to share her story with us. This is what life is about. This is how it goes on, right? This is how it goes on. We will continue to inspire that. I could do one last word about her. Please. She was interviewed uh, on the radio at one of her hundred. She had three birthday parties, but at one of the parties, they said, Sally, what can you tell us about the being 100? And she said, well, the first 100 has been very good. I'm looking forward to the next one. <laughs> Fabulous quote. That's a tweetable. That's tweetable. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.